0: is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Gadaletta. Welcome back to Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning easy for everyone. In uh, this episode, I'm back home after a long trip and uh, uh, a number of collaborations uh, with uh, several groups um, in uh, in Europe and uh, i'm here with a cup of coffee finally enjoying the office the home office <laughs> and uh, and uh, speaking about something that uh, i um, i've been spending my my time with in in for the last uh, year and a half probably uh, which is fitchain and um, the decentralized machine learning platform. Now, of course, I, uh, I'm not here to promote the platform and, uh, you know, for, for these things, uh, there, are, there is a website, there are, uh, there, is, there are some repos on GitHub, so feel free to um, uh, check this, this code out. Uh, but what I'm here for is to well give something like my uh, personal opinion about uh, what is going on with machine learning and uh, uh, blockchain and decentralization and uh, you know all these nice words that we hear uh, for the last we are hearing for the last uh, the last two years probably maybe a bit less uh, and so well I'm uh, very fresh from uh, uh, the Berlin Meetup, um, a Meetup that has been organized by Ocean Protocol uh, team. Very nice team of individuals in uh, in based in Berlin, uh, and they are dealing with uh, well, they are actually building a data marketplace um, that is uh, uh, token based and uh, uh, token oriented, uh, and it's basically living at the edge between. Uh, decentralized and distributed databases uh, and, uh, and of course, Ethereum blockchain. And, of course, there is all in between. There is an... We are designing and, and implementing a very interesting uh, way uh, to, you know, consider data as, as tradable assets in a potential marketplace made of uh, uh, several actors. For example, data scientists, data providers and... Uh, uh, data consumers, etc. etc. Now, allow me to sip this coffee, because this conversation is going to take a while. Mm. Oh, this is great. So, well, let me uh, speak about what I've been doing with the Ocean Protocol and what actually what I'm doing with Ocean Protocol. I have been developing designing and developing a platform together with uh, uh, engineer uh, Dan Gerritz, who's the co-founder of FitChain and uh, uh, Matthias De Vrind, who's the uh, UI UX engineer and we have been designing something that allows uh, data scientists to write machine learning models uh, on top of data that they never ha- have access to and so basically, you know, you would say, how would that be possible? You know, writing a machine learning model on data that I can never see. And I know that most of the followers of this podcast, at least are, you know, the majority is definitely data scientists. And the first thing they do is, of course, uh, downloading the data, visualizing the data, exploring the data. There is a very long and tedious process of uh, data exploratory analysis and uh, uh, you know plotting graphs and 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 pair plots, for example, when the the um, to explore what are the distributions of the the statistical distributions of the of the columns uh, if we are dealing with, for example, columnar format uh, data, uh, or exploring the. Um, uh, typology of um, of of images. If it's uh, about images that we are talking, about. so it might sound indeed counterintuitive the fact that one can uh, write a machine learning model on top of data that they cannot see. And indeed, that's uh, you know that's true. I don't want. I don't like hypes. Uh, I'm not very comfortable with uh, um, you know. I'm very pragmatic person. Uh, and uh, and uh, I never embrace hypes whatever whatever they come from um, even when people were calling something artificial intelligence I prefer to name it machine learning which is in my opinion much makes much more sense but anyway yes you as a data scientist you will have limitations if you deal with uh, a machine learning model that is, Born from from no data, you know. The spirit of machine learning is uh, indeed uh, train a machine learning model on data, right? And so, if you don't have access to such data, there's actually no way to uh, to train any model. And also, there is no way for you to understand what this data is about. Now, of course, when I say no way, I'm 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 being too pragmatic, probably, because there are ways, of course, with more limitations, but there are ways to uh, write a machine learning model on data that you cannot see, uh, which is, for example, using synthetic data. And so using synthetic data, as long as these data uh, are, uh, you know, very close, very similar to the original data, even replicating the same Uh, noise if there is a noise or missing values if there are missing values and discrepancies in the data you know replicating the data creating synthetic data means also creating the inconsistencies of the original data set that you know eventually a a data scientist will will try to fix and so if there is this you know one-to-one relationship between synthetic data and, uh, and uh, uh, raw data, or original data. Well, then, you know, it's there is a possibility to write a machine learning model on top of of that, right? And, and be relatively sure that that machine learning model uh, will perform once it gets trained, of course, on the original data, if you if you train that model on the on the synthetic data, you will never, you know, you get random uh, random decisions and uh, because data are random, synthetic data are random, and so also the predictions of that model will not make sense. But if you take that model and you train it on the original data, and you can do that because you wrote that model on, you know, by looking at the synthetic data, so, you know, at least the data dimensions and, and the pretty basic statistical distributions should still apply. Well, then it's possible, and uh, and that's exactly what uh, we have showed uh, to to the meetup in Berlin uh, a few weeks ago. It's exactly that we um, spin up the FitChain pod, uh, which is this component that a data scientist and a data provider uh, will install to their local machines in order to communicate with each other and exchange. Uh, data, data templates, and of course machine learning models, uh, and of course machine learning model metrics, which is all these nice things that th- data scientists look at: accuracy, error loss, uh, confusion matrices, and stuff like that when uh, they have trained uh, a model. So we, uh, you know, the the scope of that. Um, meetup was exactly to show that it is possible to have, for example, a bunch of images that are extremely sensitive data, so it's something that cannot be shared, um, and allow a data scientist who's on the other side of the world uh, looking for a project uh, to provide a solution for. And these data scientists, uh, we have shown how this, this individual can replicate can create a synthetic version of this original super secret data uh, and write a neural network. And so, you know, uh, with defining the number of layers, defining the dimensions of each layer, uh, defining the output labels, even doing a bit of, you know, simple transformation, uh, transformations of this data uh, in the input and in the output. When I pause, I'm sipping coffee, just that you know. We have shown also how a data scientist can deploy such a model remotely, uh, which means that once the the model has been assessed to be compatible with the data, uh, and so having the guarantee that if the data is not (laughs) suddenly changed, that neural network will eventually train on when when it is connected to the original data. So we have shown exactly this pipeline once this happens this machine learning model neural network is basically deployed remotely so that the data provider the only actor who owns the real data the the real stuff the super secret stuff can indeed train the model on behalf of the of the poor data scientists who cannot see anything, the only thing they can see, of course, is how good or bad the model is doing by observing a number of transactions, um, where you know in each transaction it's, there there are many things specified. For example, of course, the metrics of the model, but also many other things like uh, timestamps, like uh, description of the data that is being Um, fed to the model at that specific time, Um, some cryptographic proofs of of this data that is feeding the network uh, in each batch, for example. So basically the, uh, you know, it's basically like running that neural network on your personal computer at home locally, uh, while it is completely (laughs) into another geographic location uh, and still giving you um, uh, you know, metrics so that one can understand if he has to um, uh, tweak and tune the model, restart, pause, or just throw it away because it's not working. So this is something that we have been developing for the last 14 months or something like that. And it's using a number of technologies that course, I'm not going into detail in, in this episode, um, but it uses a number of technologies. In particular, it also uses uh, blockchain technology. Now, why the blockchain technology? Well, um, the blockchain-based ledger that we are using is something that, you know, it's its just a ledger, okay? it's A ledger is a, let's say, Kind of a database where you put your transactions, data, logs, whatever. So, one can decide to use a private um, on-prem hard drive or or storage facility, or a remote Amazon AWS whatever S3 buckets, etc., um, or any other provider. You know, or an Ethereum blockchain, or an IPFS. Um, Interplanetary file system, uh, decentralized and distributed storage. It doesn't matter, you know. It's something that we decided to to use as a technology because we were personally familiar with it, and uh, and we like the idea, we like the approach, how you know how it was designed and implemented. But it's a pluggable component that indeed one can plug in and out uh, at her will. And so one can clearly decide to store these logs as the model gets trained, can decide to store these things wherever. Now, of course, if, and this is with the uh, philosophical problem, is that if I am a data owner and you are a data scientist, of course, uh, you know, I might be cheating about um, me training the model on your behalf, And also, I might be cheating while I write these transactions. So as the model gets trained, I can be, for example, forging these transactions so that you see things on the other side, uh, you know, things that I want you to see. In contrast, you can also be cheating, you as a data scientist, you can also be cheating once you receive these transactions and say, hey, I never received anything. And so you didn't train the model. And so we will fall into a dispute and it would be impossible or very difficult to, you know, dispute our own um, with our own reasons. Uh, It would be very difficult if such a ledger were, um, you know, centralized somewhere, for example, at my place or or at your place, it would be my word against yours. And so we would never uh, succeed in our dispute. Nobody will ever win. So, the thesis of FitChain is, okay, how about taking all these transactions and distribute these transactions into a a network, the so-called FitChain Gossiper Network, which does exactly that. It gossips around uh, these transactions to a number of uh, so-called validators or nodes that basically uh, distribute and replicate these claims uh, in their local uh, in their local nodes, and so that if there is a dispute one day or after model training, well, we can actually go back to this network to this gossiper network and say, uh, you know, I saw that at this timestamp, data provider uh, claimed that the model was at an accuracy of let's say 85 percent and stuff like that. So these claims basically cannot be repudiated, you know, cannot be moved around, cannot be deleted, which is exactly the reason why we have implemented the so-called Gossiper Network that does exactly that. It replicates claims and of course keeps them and, uh, and provides cryptographic proofs about that. Now, why I believe FitChain is a relevant platform? Um, And this is, of course, you know, of course, my opinion is biased because I I am behind it. Uh, But of course, I would like to share my opinions with you and eventually collect some of your opinions and and have uh, intelligent conversations uh, about this. So there are several reasons why I believe that uh, machine learning and blockchain might have a future. Which is not just driven by the hype. You know, hypes are extremely dangerous, especially with technology. Uh, We have seen that many times in history. And uh, we really do not need another buzzword uh, to fill our mailbox and news feeds. In particular, I think that, well, the first reason why I believe FitChain. A, is a relevant platform for a data scientist is because it allows a data scientist to operate on data they do not have access to, and they will never do. Because in the world, there are an, a, there is a, an impressive amount of organizations, uh, the so-called data providers, but they don't necessarily need to be organizations or corporations. It could be consortia, it could be even individuals who cannot uh, share their personal data. And and since we are facing this, you know, uh, crisis of, uh, you know, privacy and data leaks, uh, you know, it's very important that we start thinking about how can we apply machine learning models or create machine learning models uh, on data that they, we cannot see or we cannot have access to. Uh, regardless of the regulations, there will always be regulations. Um, we have seen the GDPR regulation is just the, the the most recent one, which is, in my opinion, a very valuable uh, regulation. I personally criticized it uh, before it became GDPR, and you can check that from uh, a very old podcast episode. I also wrote a post on datascienceatom.com. Uh, and, you know, I never deleted these things because I want to be fair. And I also mentioned, okay, I didn't see it. Uh, I didn't interpret this as a, as a good thing. Uh, of course, I raised my critics when the GDPR regulation was just a bunch of ideas, uh, you know, developed by non-engineers, non-technical people and fairly impossible to, to apply. Then it evolved into something that was that made more sense to me, and indeed, it's the GDPR as we know it today, which still needs to be polished. It still needs to be, you know, uh, tweaked and tuned. But the core of the of the regulation is already there, and I believe it's uh, it's something that we should um, uh, we should take care of. It's it's a very important uh, regulation to my eyes, and it's not going to be the last one. Uh, regulations will be strict, more and more strict, and. Uh, more and more demanding uh, because it's important to preserve the privacy of individuals, especially when our life is more and more in, in digital format. And so, uh, you know, we cannot tolerate uh, other uh, f- attacks to Facebook, uh, attacks to Yahoo, attacks to Google, uh, uh, you know, and, and these folks just shutting down their services because they cannot manage uh, attacks, they cannot manage data leaks and they cannot basically manage our data. So, you know, it's not just uh, being a large corp, the, the business model of whom is based on sharing data, is based on selling data. It's, I, I truly believe that people deserve um, organizations and governments to pay attention to their data because if tomorrow it is about a, uh, you know, a phone number and the history of, of the, you know, the, the history of the last month or the last two weeks as you know this 30 million uh people got uh, got leaked their data from facebook you know in the future and in the very near future i believe this is not going to be a phone number but it could be something else it could be something more personal and we indeed should stop with that idea of yeah i i don't do anything weird online and so you know people can access my my data whenever they want i don't believe that uh, i don't believe that because our life is evolving into the digital world and uh, indeed yes today you don't do much but probably your kids and your nephews will put d- their entire life on uh, on online and or well in digital format and so someone has to protect these things someone has to But someone still has to analyze these things because data science and machine learning and what people call artificial intelligence, they are not going to disappear anytime soon, of course. Actually, they are going to become stronger and stronger because we have seen where the value is. And so it will be more and more required to um, have access to data and to deploy machine learning models and to do complex analysis while maintaining uh, privacy, protecting the data. So these two requirements are important and they will go in parallel in my opinion. So this is the first the first reason. It was a bit a long explanation, but this is why I believe we should start thinking about private machine learning. We should start thinking about uh, uh, doing machine learning on data that are not necessarily accessible to the data scientist. The second reason uh, is a more philosophical one, uh, which is more related to the blockchain phenomenon or revolution, uh, as many uh, are calling it, which in my opinion, you know, has to be taken with a lot of care. I I believe in blockchain technology, not as a technology per se, but as a community. So for me, a blockchain technology, you know, if, if you studied something related to decentralized and distributed systems at university, you realize immediately that, OK, yeah, it's cool. There are a lot of efforts in the consensus algorithms. And, and I really respect the work of, of these brilliant people. But there is no real breakthrough when it, you know, technological breakthrough, when it is compared to the breakthrough that comes from the community. And that's, I think, that's where the difference is with, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000. It's the sense of the community. Because after all, blockchain technology, it can be a complex uh, technology, even though there are technologies that are way more complex than, than blockchain, than public ledger, and stuff like that. So, it can be considered a high-tech uh, phenomenon, but it's the community that, in my opinion, makes the real difference here. I think that um, starting to think about uh, decentralizing machine learning, you know, it's something that we should be doing now, because it will take a while until... It's going to be feasible, you know, and practical uh, to 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 the public. The reason why I'm saying this is because machine learning and machine learning models will become um, a fundamental part of our digital life, and uh, we are seeing already, uh, you know, so-called intelligent devices uh, growing. I'm also exploding actually. Uh, You know all these. I'm not just talking about smartphones, which are of course a hub of uh, of AI and machine learning models. Even if you don't realize that, but a stupid keyboard has uh, as a machine learning model and reinforcement learning models behind behind it. So, you know, I'm I'm thinking about from a screen to a car to uh, planes, any other type of vehicle booking systems you know our entire life will be i would say dominated by machine learning we we know this and so machine learning is will become more and more present in our digital life and so i believe that if we start thinking uh, how to decentralize machine learning this is something that's gonna play uh, you know on people's favor we cannot think of centralizing machine learning because it's a, it's a super powerful tool that in my opinion belong, belongs to the people. And, uh, and it's very important that people can have control on it because machine learning is nothing without the data. And uh, since we are embracing the fact that uh, people should own their own data, Uh, we are also implicitly embracing the fact that people should also own their machine learning models, or at least those machine learning models that have been built on their data. So yeah, these are the the two reasons why I believe uh, FitChain as many other platforms that are probably thinking of the same, you know, tackling the same problem. I think they are in the right direction, at least with the attempt uh, of uh, of making machine learning uh, decentralized, making private machine learning possible. I don't know which approach will succeed or will be, you know, the most uh, reliable one as well as the uh, most practical one. Um, That's something that, you know, requires a deep analysis on uh, on the different uh, methodologies, for example, homomorphic encryption, or multi-party computation, or data isolation like FitChain works, um, or other methodologies that we 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 haven't thought about yet. Um, so you know it doesn't really matter uh, who will succeed and how and with which methodology, as long as they will make private machine learning possible. So this is what, of course, I. I wish people will spend their time and effort on. I will personally keep working on that, in that direction because I believe, I truly believe that data belong to people. People should own data and people should own the byproduct of data, which is indeed machine learning models. I hope you enjoyed the show till next time. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening.